to the ETPG team podcast that was so squeaky I don't know why (laughs) (laughs) number 37 I know my voice is squeaky sometimes but that was very squeaky um hello hello hi Louis how are you I'm not too bad thanks how are you I am well thank you very much how are you Anna I am good thank you all good 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 we were just having a brief chat before we came on about this week this week has been an interesting week I think so it started with International Women's Day on Monday I think then it was interrupted with Oprah's interview with Meghan and Harry a day later or the next day and we've had just horrible news I suppose it's kind of I suppose this is kind of culmination isn't it of in the British news this week about the murder in Clapham Common, Clapham Common, or Clapham Common, and it's just been a really, it's quite a heavy week. I think um, it's a lot. I think just it's very emotive, and I think I don't know. I th- I suppose for me, I think it just ha- it's highlighted the issues and the vulnerability that we still have as women and uh, it's just been it's been quite difficult to watch all and really and not really interestingly but last week when I was writing my group email that I sent out to on Fridays um it almost was a a bit of a feminist rant and I'd said to my friend I said I I wrote a feminist rant last week so I'm not going to do another feminist rant this week I'm going to talk about something else and I think it highlighted to me how much it started to make I've started to be recently thinking am I talking about this too much like whenever I go on nutrition podcasts a lot of the time I will use the word the patriarchy right and we kind of laugh about it a lot but actually I think that this week has highlighted the importance of even these kind of baseline surface level discussions. And I was I was shared a post by somebody earlier today who's who's fantastic. She she put up like this pyramid, like this hierarchy of like basically like we have these ground level microaggressions at the bottom here, and then we have at the very top is where you have sexual abuse, sexual violence, rape, murder, and how all of these microaggressions feed into this kind of slope upwards, so to speak. And I think, so I, th- I think it's just highlighted that it's ne- you can never be too. I don't feel like now. I don't feel like you should ever feel that you're being too ranty. And even in the the email that I'd written last week, I um I didn't send it in the end, but I put at the bottom, you know, like I love men, and I'd talked about Louis, and I talked about da- both Dan's and. I was like, these are really great men and allies and all the stuff. But even then, I found myself justifying why I was saying I love men. Everyone knows I love you, Louis, and everyone knows I love the dance. And but I felt the need to justify that. And it's just, I think this week, it's not even. It's not about me centralising it or centering myself in this conversation. But it's like it's just kind of highlighted for me personally the need for these conversations and the need not to justify myself when I have these conversations. Justify to people why I'm having these conversations and. I do it with Emma, like whenever we're doing the IQ and I talk about the patriarchy and I'm like, she laughs or whatever. And it's like, well, these, they are still important conversations to have. How, I don't like, how have you two felt about it? 
Um, I, I sort of said that I don't want to dismiss what's going on and I definitely don't want to do that because it is an important issue. But I also feel like I'm running empty emotionally with a lot of things and how fueled Instagram is at the moment and social media in general. Um, and the fact that you have to be showing have almost be showing to other people that you have a strong opinion on these things and i'm gonna be honest the mega Markle prince harry thing i'm not really that arsed around and then i had a bit of an opinion on the piers morgan thing that all kicked off but that's mainly around that i think there's a bit of nuance to it where we should encourage freedom of speech and I think you overstepped the mark, but then freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequence. And I think that's important as well, because I do feel like cancel culture can go too far and stops differing opinions, having conductive or productive discussions. And then turning on the last few days with the whole, um, and rightfully so women in on the whole, um, posting around how they felt unsafe and it is shocking the statistics and and like even when I've had conversations with friends it's people have made passing jokes here before he's like well I've got to make sure I've got my keys in my hands and I feel that it is a issue but then I also feel at times being a man in this situation whatever you say that doesn't just flatly agree with some of the messages around men isn't up for discussion and I don't think that's productive in helping people understand what they can do um, and yeah I feel that it's just it's such a difficult conversation sometimes to approach with some people when it's so fueled at the moment that if you enter it you've got to be ready to be a lot of emotions going to come through rightfully so so currently at the moment i'm almost taking a step back from it because it is so emotionally charged at the moment and i do feel that i do want to be fully engaged in the conversation like i said i feel like i'm running on empty a little bit as probably most people are but then i'm also questioning whether the fact that i'm very privileged in a lot of my positions like i i don't want to take the spotlight off it but i i, I I don't feel safe 100% of time street on the streets as well. And I do feel like safety in general on the streets is an issue. However, it is more of an issue for women and it's men perpetrating usually the crimes. So we do need to look at that. But then there's a lot of conversations that need to be had with without so much emotion. And I feel that emotion sometimes can lead us to very reactive um, circumstances rather than responsive and productive mm -hmm. yeah it is interesting and I've, it's it's interesting that you say that because I've seen discussions where the same piece of media it was talking about how men can support women and it was things like cross the road like so you're not walking right directly behind women things like that and I've seen that same piece of media be shared by one very strongly feminist account that I know saying men should all read this and take note and by another feminist account that I know that's saying this is disgusting, I can't believe we're telling men how to change. Basically, we're giving this guide to men when they should be learning about how they should, why this matters. 
and it's just not and and such opposing dichotomous views on this one article from two people I respect and I feel it, I felt conflicted in that and so I can only imagine like you said though it's not about it's not really about men's opinions in this per se because you're not in that space just like for example last year when we were talking about Black Lives Matter it wasn't for us to centre ourselves in that conversation and it's a similar sort of thing but it it's I can only imagine what it feels like as a man to to see those types of conversations and think well what how, what is the right thing for me to do here because these two people I respect I don't I don't know and I can I can completely appreciate that I think it's just such scary statistics you know it was 97 percent in that YouGov poll 97 97 percent of women say they've been sexually harassed 96 percent of those didn't report it because they said they didn't think it would make a difference and that's like that's t- terrifying and I think I know what you mean I, I know what you mean about the emotive stuff but at the same time emotion is important in these discussions because the, well it's 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 an emotive topic right we don't want to take the emotion out of it but absolutely like you said it can be challenging to take to respond and not react when it's when it's like that I just feel very heavy like I don't know if I said I don't we weren't doing the podcast when I was in California but the second time I was in California I was in this sounds like this is obviously a very privileged problem but the situation that I got myself in where I was in like Malibu or something and I'd met this guy on the beach and he said you know can I walk you I was just walking along and he said can I walk you along the beach and I was like yeah that's fine and then we got to the one end of it and I said I'm going to turn around now and go back to my car and he said well well can I walk you I was like, oh, I'm going back to my car. I don't really want him to follow me back to my car. But I was like, okay, yeah, just to be polite, as we do. And then I said, I just need to... And my friend Nick had phoned me because I'd pocket dialed him by mistake. And he texted me, said, are you okay? Because it was three o'clock in the morning there and he was worried. He texted me, said, are you okay? And I said, I just need to phone my friend back because he's worried. And he said, oh, your friend Nick. I said, how do you know that? And he said, I saw it on your phone. So obviously at that point, I was just like, red flag, red flag, red flag. But I was so, didn't want to be rude in the middle. And I was like, it's the middle of the day, we're in California, like, this is fine. That I let him then walk me back to my car. And I kept trying to be like, well, where's your car? Where's your car? And he said, oh, it's coming up, it's coming up. And he got me all the way back to my car. Then they kept trying to hold my hand as I was walking. And I was like, like, I, I kept being like, oh, I'm British. We don't do like PDAs really and I just met the guy then when we got back to the car he was like well can I just come back to your come come back to where you are and I said I'm working and he said well I'll meet you I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll wait for you and he was really really pushy and I I got such a horrible feeling from him that when I drove away I'd seen that he'd seen my car and I drove and when I parked where I was living which was like 45 minutes away I parked like two streets along from my house and then that night, I was so panicked because I heard noises outside where I was living that I phoned my friend at midnight and I was like, I'm terrified. I think I think that like he's followed me back. And I was so scared that the next day I had to go and stay at my friend's house because I was terrified. And it's like, that is the middle of the day conversation that you have with someone where oh, it could have been solved by me not feeling like I had to be polite and me just being like, I don't need to be a nice girl. I could just say, fuck off. I don't want you in this space. But even as a strong woman, you still feel like you need to be um, polite and you still don't want to offend anyone. And you kind of just think, I've just been too emotional. I'm just like, I, I just need to brush it off. 
when actually inside you're absolutely terrified. And I think, like for me, I just, it's that's obviously something in my head where I'm, I remember it and I remember writing about it afterward. But I think this week especially is kind of, it, that's one situation. And I just think we've all been through situations like that. Um, as women, I'm, I'm, I'm potentially as men too, where you just feel completely un, like so unsafe for literally walking home. Mm. Yeah, it's. I think. I think. I think it's highlighted. I, I mean, I, I know we've we've spoken about it before, and all of these like habits that are ingrained in us that you, you don't even notice that you're doing just to stay safe, and this girl did everything she could have done and it still wasn't enough and yeah like that's it's just terrifying like uh, yeah I I think like I'll just echo what you both say in that it has been a heavy week and yeah I don't know I don't know I think it's more trying to help guys, like you were saying, help them understand how and what they can do to help us feel safe. Yeah. And I think, like, with you two, I can have this conversation. And because you're, you're very good at not making me feel like, like it's a safe environment for me to talk when I feel like a lot of environments on Instagram... I, if I want to have this conversation or any, I presume a lot of guys at the moment feel like they're not the issue, but then I want to be productive. But if I say something wrong, then it's automatically you you don't understand or this is what's wrong. And you get almost shouted down at. And it's like, well, I'm here, here to a safer society for women. It's a safer society for everyone, in my opinion. And it's having these safe spaces and i know how i'm saying safe space i'm just hearing myself talking and consider consider the topic we're talking about um i i think it's important to have these conversations because i i know where i stand on the subject but then also like you said amelia it's these two the same piece of content goes two ways and you're like well am, am i sharing the right thing um is this the right person to be resharing on my story because i think i agree with everything she says or they say but then also i feel like I don't, there might be a space here that the nuance that i don't understand and then before you know it you're like i'm just not going to get involved and you want to step back and you're just like oh, i'm going to try and educate myself or discuss it with friends and like i like i mean said it's not about me this is about men doing better for women which is important um and then a lot of the comments around people prefacing why this is a tragedy like as a brother as a father and it's it like no this is just tragic regardless it's horrendous that we live in a society where i can imagine a lot of women have read that news and it's it's sad but they're not necessarily surprised mm. and that's sad that we're in that society yeah, I, I actually read on someone's Instagram today that since the since the she went missing, I think it was, there's been six deaths of women and one death of a, a young girl since then. So it's not like this is it's not surprising at all. I think 
it's so hard. I feel I feel quite angry. I feel quite angry and I feel quite angry that it's not that and this is a selfish thing, I suppose, but I feel angry that it's not what ev- what everything I see on social media. I feel angry today when I look on social media and I see women not sharing stuff, talking about it. I feel angry and I feel I think uh, yeah, I, I think I just feel angry and it highlights to me like I I had gotten not all men in my inbox literally two or three days ago, somebody who wants me to go on this podcast. He said, well, not all men think like that. And I said, first of all, my post was sarcastic. I know that. But second of all, this is the actual problem. And and instead of having that open discussion, it was kind of brushed off like, OK. And it's like, this is why like, I'm 34 years old and I wake up in the middle of the night and I am I get terrified. And I've, I've multiple times in the last, say, month, I've texted my friend at two o'clock in the morning saying I'm scared in my bed. At two o'clock in the morning... Because I live on a main road and I'm scared that somebody knows where I live. I think I've said maybe on this mm. podcast as well, I've woken up in the night, deleted pictures that I think show my house because I'm mm. terrified someone's going to be at my house. And so I think this is just like I think I just feel I feel angry at the moment and I and it's it's not like I pick and choose what I talk about on Instagram now and it's sort of what you were saying earlier, Louis. Like I a lot of topical subjects now I don't often talk about because I don't think that I can offer anything new insight into specific things, so I keep quiet. This is something that I don't think I've offered any new insight into, but I don't think it's right to keep quiet from my personal space. But I feel, I, I feel angry at the, the lack of not. You're a male ally. Like I would class you in a, as a male ally, Louis. I feel angry at the lack of that, and I feel angry at the lack of the what I mean. La la la. Lemme soon. I've spoken about her a lot. But she talks about like the, the pick me girls, and this is not putting the blame onto women at all in this misogynistic situation. But often, like if this works both ways, like feminism is not actually necessarily about men; it's about the society and how we exacerbate it as men and as women and as non-binary. Like where we where we exacerbate it, and where you see sexist stuff when we as women also roll our eyes and maybe it's because we don't feel comfortable to say it but that angers me too because we don't feel we don't feel safe in that space to to stand up and say something and I yeah I feel very emotive about it and Mm. angry about it and I think but I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing at the moment I think it needs no I feel like there's a lot that there's so much not nuance to it but points that as a male in some of the messages I'm a bit like I feel that at times needs to be clarified and then this might be me not understanding the movement but there was one around today that I saw and it's it's the duty of men to educate young boys which they do play a role but it's the duty of society as a whole and I feel that that nuance is important as a, as a male who I believe I'm an ally and I believe in women's rights and I have lots of friends who are amazing women, powerful women, and it, it's really sad to hear all the stories. And as a big male who could potentially be that intimidating character on the street, I try my best not to be. And then to hear that it's my fault as a male that young men aren't behaving appropriately I'm a bit at times I'm like well 
like that there's lots of things that young men don't do that do horrendously and i'm not taking away from the fact that that the topic at the moment but i think it, society as a whole needs to work together and instead of going this is your problem and ticking it off like we all need to do it and i'm, I'm not chugging the blame at all and maybe this is me being wrong but i'm this is how i feel about it and yeah it's just like there's no place for nuanced conversations like this on instagram feeds is there i think i totally know what you're saying i think do you know what i think that the issue is that male privilege exists and i think that the issue is we've had hundreds of years of not like non-nuance against women and we've had hundreds of years of men letting women down in general and that and that's where this that's where that comes from it's it's a it's kind of like you know when we look at say diversity on in jobs and stuff and we have positive discrimination and we and you may um say for example you might hire someone who's in a, a minority of any type to balance the diversity that you have in your corporation say and it's kind of like people that have a, an issue against that it's like well do you know what like for example as a as a white female as someone picked um, a person of color on a board over me I would say fa- I would say fine because I've had white privilege and I've I've formed that I've, I've been accustomed to that white privilege for my whole life and do you know what that's fair for me not to have that white privilege in this situation and you to get privilege over me or you to get priority over me and I think that's and it's a different situation, of course, with race as it is to sexism and misogyny. But it's also like there has, I, I do believe that there has to be a point in a similar sort of way where men do go, do you know what? I've had male privilege in this point, in this up until this point, And I do need to take a step back and say, do you know what? I have to kind of take one for the team and say, you're right. And men could do more, for example, mm-hmm. which I know that that's not what you're saying, but it's, it's, I totally know what you're saying. I think it's really, really, it's really, really tricky. And it, it, a lot of it is coming down to, well, it does, it comes down to men need to try harder and we're generalising. Of course, it's not all men. Of course, it's not. Um, but I do think it comes down to a lot, the fact that, of the fact that male privilege has existed for so long and mm. it needs to be flipped around for equality to happen. And I, And I know that this is not you, but I know men myself who can't handle that prospect. They think feminism, they think equality means no feminism. They think equality means that we just have a level playing field and that's in it. But it's like, do you know what? No, you need to, you do need to flip it around to get equality back. And if feminism is equality, but it's that kind of, I've had these arguments with men before who are just like, well, I just don't believe in feminism and it should, we should just, I just believe in equality. So arse argument, I can't cope with it. <laughs> drives me bonkers but i i understand the i understand the the lens that they're, mm. that they're coming through completely it's it's just it's a very tricky field and again it's like it's tricky but this isn't about me so where do i seek that sort of guidance from because it, this isn't about me this is about us becoming better but then i don't understand and to, i had a there was a really good Radio, I listened to LBC quite a lot and James O'Brien I think did a really good job today if he was like I'm just here to listen for people to come in and talk and like, I think that's a good place to start for most men is just like listen mm. so. mm. 
changing topic, my little sister, um, she was telling me that she was listening to BBC Radio 4 the other day. It was the same time that I put up about the rates of um, disordered eating and, and eating, etc. in the pandemic. And she said, oh, listen to Radio 4. So I put it on and it was about it was about people who had gained weight during the pandemic. And it was a whole show of it. And it was just really enlightening in that it really made me take a step back out of social media. These were people who don't probably have Instagram and who are middle-aged people who had gained weight in lockdown. And it was just really humbling's not the right word. Just listen to people talk. You know, one of the women were saying, you know, well, what else do I have if I don't if I don't if I'm not eating? What else is there? I used to I used to go to the gym and now I and now I can't go to the gym. Um and so I, I may as well eat. And another woman was saying she, you know, she lives on a main road and she can't drive, so she can't walk anywhere. And so she's gained weight because she hasn't been able to move. And it was just really the it was just really like a reminder of like this is the stuff that really really matters like and I don't mean in terms of like fat loss I mean in health like this is the stuff that really matters and we have all of these discussions about calorie fucking deaths all this stuff on social media but it's really a stark reminder that that's the stuff that matters helping people who can't like walk too far from their house how we support them and their health people who genuinely feel that food is all they have at this point how we can support that like it was just it was an interesting show um mm. on radio for kind of yeah just to bring the stark reality back to of life again um yeah uh, sort of on that topic i read a really cool paper this week that was um talking about it was not the same paper as that but it was talking about um binge eating rates in lockdown so I've not posted about it yet because I haven't figured out the, rate, the way to do this and you'll, you'll hear in a minute why I haven't figured out the right way to do it. But they were talking about how binge eating rates in lockdown have increased in both those with eating disorders and actually in people without prior eating disorders, binge eating rates have increased. Um, and the in the group that didn't have eating disorders in this study, the there was like a correlation and I can't remember the specific statistics between those who used to go to the gym and exercise and the reduction in that and the increase in binge eating and in the paper they were talking about you know we can potentially hypothesize we can hypothesize that this may be attributable to the closure of gyms and leisure centers and sports facilities and it was really and this is that's why I'm really careful about how I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to word it yet because I don't want to look like I'm like fight in a fight that's not my fight if you know what I mean mm -hmm. but it, it's I was speaking about to my friend about it and she was like you know it's not that surprising because she's never had an issue with mindless eating she said but in like in the last few months I, I mindlessly eat and she, and she never has and she's a gym goer and stuff and she said yeah it doesn't surprise me at all um so I thought that was quite interesting mm. no it's funny you mentioned that because my mum was saying the same thing well they're, they're both I went round last week and they were both saying how they've gained weight in lockdown. And I was like, I think you're with the majority of people right now. Um, but my mum was saying, and I, 
you're obviously I wanted to try and be understanding and show a compassion and and I think it's because she's missing certain aspects of her life things that might usually take her mind off things going on within the family within home she's missing seeing friends because like you were saying a lot of her friends are vulnerable or shielding and they're just not able to do the stuff that she would normally do and she's like yeah this is what's happening and I'm trying to work through it I was like yeah yeah again I think so many people are absolutely I think I did the stats for this emotional eating workshop that I'm doing and I was I was I've got a a kind of introduction on all of these types of stats and I looked at one of the studies that it was like a quarter of people had gained weight um in lockdown and I worked it out it was like something like that equated I'm going to say it was like to 19 million people if we if we extrapolated that to the whole of UK it was something like 19 million people have gained weight in lockdown and it's quite a nice kind of realization that like there's not obviously there's nothing wrong with gaining weight in general and that's not necessarily where we're focusing but I think it's important to know like this is whatever your body is doing right now is kind of a normal natural response whichever direction it's probably going in for some people it's the other way around um but yeah it's just interesting to see like have to start having these conversations like I've had a similar conversation with my mum who's dealing with post-covid and your mum and radio for like real life um and then normal people away from yeah away away from from, uh, yeah 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 Yeah. it's just it's i think it's now that now we're like we're coming up to the year anniversary right so to speak i think today it was announced a pandemic is that right yeah today was cheltenham last year and that was the big turning point wasn't it when they sort of knew and they went well cheltenham go ahead (laughs) and yeah that didn't work out too well yeah well there we go I think I think now we're starting to really see the outcomes of a lot of it and where and where we need to offer ourselves compassion but also where we we can have and be having these conversations with people and I think it's important that we all kind of take stock a little bit and realize like we've just done a year of a global pandemic whatever we feel like right now we're doing just fine whatever that looks like and feels like just on that note bit of a public health service announcement um, <laughs> if people are over, if you're over 56 and haven't been contacted by your gp yet you can book in your jab <laughs> on the nhs website because i sent it to my mum and dad the other day they hadn't been booked in and they got booked in a day or two later so it's pretty quick so is that just anyways, england i think so but it's worth checking on the NHS website. But if you're over 56 and haven't been contacted yet, you can book yourself in. Or if you're uh, like a frontline worker, social worker or anything like that, there's a, loads of requisites on there. But um, a GP shared it the other day on Facebook and I clicked on it and told mum and dad and they got booked in straight away, which is good. So That's awesome. Mm. I'm going to check if it's Scotland too because I'd like to tell my mum, but I've got a feeling it's probably not. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, we won't go down that conversation right <laughs> let's get on with the questions that was a that was a long chat <laughs> but I think we've got we had lots to talk about today Anna you're drinking that thing that I really like is it bitter lemon it is <laughs> I love no I love it but I keep buying it I made 
slow gin for Christmas and then never because bitter lemon and slow gin is insanely good and I keep buying it and be like I'll try it I'll try it and then haven't I just keep necking the bottles instead (laughs) but at least it means my slow gin is lasting and alcohol (laughs) consumption is down so (laughs) (laughs) exactly um okay I'm gonna start off what would all of your advice be to someone who is soon to be a newly qualified personal trainer and wants to start taking on clients? Do you think it's possible to do these solely online or do you think you need to become a PT in a gym to get yourself out there? Um, Anna, do you want to jump in on this? Uh, well, congratulations on becoming a PT, first of all. Um, I think... Do you know what? I th- I don't I I'm trying to think if my opinion would be different if it hadn't have been for the pandemic uh because right now I don't think you'd need experience in the gym there are lots of people that were all set up ready to go into the world of PT last year and that got knocked on its head and have done amazingly well moving straight into online um I think online is difficult um i mean obviously my background is going from pt to online um and hybrid and all sorts but i think i I don't think it's essential by any means but i think for me personally it was quite good um to build my, my people skills and I know ESG talks about it as well in that it gives you the opportunity to work with everybody Um, and meaning that maybe you can find your niche and where the people that you do want to work with so you can really begin to sell that if you were to go online. Mm -hmm. Yeah I think like congratulations again Um, definitely a worthwhile industry getting into and experiencing I really enjoyed my time on gym floor when I started out gave me like Anna said a good opportunity to work with lots of different people um I started out at David Lloyd so it was quite a good setup there to start as a PT I feel that's personally I feel like the Virgin and um David Lloyd seem to have a good good way to get your foot in the industry and get a bit more experience if you want it but I don't feel like you need it I feel like they can be not totally separate but very different services and um i feel that both have similar but again on the whole totally different skill sets in the way you deliver and i'd say give both a go see how you get on trial both systems and you might like like with most things you might find a middle ground that works for you where you have a few people that you love training one-to-one in face because some of my clients trained a little bit but it was mainly around the social aspect and having someone there to see them in the gym and make sure they're doing exercises properly and have a good chat as well at times um but then online as well has its benefits as well so i'd say trial both and if you can obviously at the moment with the gym shut if you do get the opportunity to go in then it might be worth exploring but for now might just be online or is outdoor PT started yet or is that in a couple of weeks 
Yeah, I think I think because you can exercise with one other people, whether yes. it's uh, or I've I've seen people doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel I think I probably feel a bit more strongly about I think you should do some time on the gym floor. I think that it, like you said, Anna, like it helps you identify your niche um with time. It, it it helps you identify common errors when people are training. So for example, if I was working with someone online and they just kept refusing to send me form videos, say say if someone that I needed to just keep checking or they weren't progressing. If I'd worked with them with people for a year on the gym floor, say I would know the common pitfalls that are going on with their training whereas when you're online it's a lot more difficult to do so I think it's yeah I think it's really really important to do some some stuff in in person I also think online looks easier than it is and I think it can be really easy to look and think I'd love to do that online but it's hard it's hard to you online if you're an online coach or a salesperson and an online coach you are to some degree if you're on the gym floor as well, but it depends where you work. And if you are working with somewhere that advertises you and markets you, then that's then that's great. But if you're online, you are literally your own salesperson. And if you don't do sales, then you don't get clients. And I think it can be really easy to look and think, I want to do that. But actually, it, it's tough. So I think to have an idea, like you were saying, Marie, of like a hybrid model or get doing both will allow you just to support your income a little bit more mm. as well which which is obviously what you want to be doing if you're trying to earn some money yeah and i think there's there's like as with the in the gym aspect as well there's lots of different models out there as well for you so i think me and anna both started at david lloyd initially and that's like you have a, a salary there and then you get paid extra for your pt and the reason that I was a big fan of that as well is because I got put on a fair amount of courses while I was there and that I found those really useful and what I tended to see was people would start at David Lloyd and then eventually once they've got enough confidence potentially leave and go elsewhere I'm not saying you should do that but um <laughs> but then there's other models as well like if you go somewhere you can work a certain amount, amount of hours for your gym floor for your fee or you could um go totally freelance so there's options there um, and just try different ones and see how you get on. Louis, question. Yes. Question. Uh, we'll start off quite light on this. So I got asked this week, what are the team's favourite snacks? Anna. Oh, um, Serene. although i'm on a bit of a brioche uh hype at the moment which is also excellent do you know i have to say do you know what i saw uh was it last night and it was a fitness coach um telling people about their amazing low calorie snack like to satisfy your sweet tooth oh no and it was a marshmallow on a rice cake and they microwaved it for 16 seconds so it melted and then put that like sugar-free chocolate syrup like just have a sodding squares bar it's the same thing Uh, well no it's not it's really really tasty and not a soggy hot rice cake (laughs) oh no what is wrong with people that fake chocolate syrup I you know I used to convince myself that tasted nice it's funny what you convince yourself tastes mm. good when I, you're dieting. I, I, I sent the video to a friend and I was like, 
this would have been me years ago and then I was like no it wouldn't I wouldn't have been allowed marshmallows so <laughs> <laughs> it would have been me do you know what something that do you know something that I got mocked for publicly was eating cucumber with sweetener when I was on prep but oh, I kid everybody you know, does that no <laughs> I love it now now still okay this is not my favorite snack this happens now probably once every three months I get hankering for a cucumber with sweetener and I just get the whole cucumber and stick it in my tub of sweetener and just bite it off I'm not sure I'm not sure if that means I'm some I've got some sort of deprivation elsewhere I'm gonna be honest but either way either way it's not one of my favorite snacks but it's also a byproduct of science but I really like the taste anyway <laughs> um what's my favorite snack do you know what I love a, I love a protein bar like I love a protein bar a grenade I am or a beer bells I am just here for it and then I, I, every day, does chocolate count as a snack? I think so. Yeah. Choc- Cadbury's caramel is my daily go-to. Mm-hmm. I think that they're my favourite snack. Thanks. What if yours say? If I was going for chocolate, it would probably be a milk or caramel. Or no, I that one. I like a milker. Oh, exotic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Continental. <laughs> I'm a big fan of like uh, the the battle oats cherry belt bakewell bars. Have you had them? They're amazing for a protein bar. And that's the thing that like I, I was speaking to someone the other day about protein flavors, and we were doing like a big shop on my protein and for like the samples and stuff. We've got samples of all of them now, so I'm like I haven't tried all of these in ages. And I was like, they were like, oh yeah, the flavors getting better. And I was like, oh, I remember when I like I. I started taking protein when I was like 16 and I got a plain casein. Yeah. And it, like, yeah, from boots. Uh, <laughs> it was. They're just such it, disdain, like, from boots. <laughs> yeah. Cause you can imagine their range wasn't great anyway. And it was like, it had like, it just looked like it was from like the 1920s and it was horrendous. And I was like, how? how far protein has come on and like protein bars and stuff like that with grenade and like i remember something like when it was just vanilla or chocolate or strawberry that's all we could get everywhere um but yeah like the bakewell uh battle oats bars are lovely and then hmm, yeah probably just a milker for me anna anna yes um oh um would be good to touch on how you'd go about removing the scales um in weight not tracking food if that makes sense i would just remove them <laughs> yeah. I'm not, like i know that sounds like i've really trivialized that but genuinely put them throw them out like if you live with someone that needs them like a flatmate or something that says that they're hers or his, then fine. Like ask them to keep them in the room. It, there's no, there's no need for like there's no need to transition out of that. It is, it, and I had this discussion with someone on Instagram recently. Actually, it is a case of just throw them out. They're not if you know they're not serving you, then actively weighing yourself is just actively choosing to feel a bit rubbish. I don't think there's any, I don't know if I would do anything else other than that. No, no, that's pretty much everything. That <laughs> short and sweet. Um, okay. 
Okay. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the fitness industry today? Anybody want to jump in, jump in on that? <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I feel like there's quite a lot of topics that I could cover here and go on a massive rant, but I'm not going to. Um, I feel that the before and after photo is probably becoming more prominent than less prominent. And I feel like the fitness industry is going down a more aesthetic look on that front with coaches um, going for quick, not necessarily easy, but aggressive before and after photos and then not really on, I'm generalizing here, but generally not caring about the person after the process and doing good aftercare. You think Um, that's more prevalent now than before? Um, maybe I'm just more exposed to it and maybe the, I feel that I'm getting quite triggered by it at the moment and cleansing my feed a little bit at the moment. Um, so yeah, and I feel that there's a lot of, hmm, a lot of insincerity around holistic approaches to coaching as well, as we both, we all know around people selling diet plans to improve people's relationships with food or before and after photos to improve people's relationships with food as well. So maybe something around that. Mm, definitely <laughs> might have been slightly triggered today <laughs> um, yeah I think very similar um, in images fat loss images using using them to sell binge eating programs and we say programs because they're given a time frame in which they're, they'll be recovered which yeah um and as you said louis the i think last year was kind of everybody jumping on board with mindful eating without actually understanding it or practicing it themselves and this year the focus being on improving your relationship with food when perhaps the coach themselves doesn't have an excellent relationship with food either I mean, yeah, people always do. There's always, I remember when I was competing and then I remember the year that someone was like, this is going to be the year of all the mindset coaches. And it absolutely was <laughs> the initial like start of it. Um, I think the biggest challenge is the digging in of heels against the anti-diet movement. And what I mean by that is people getting, people are getting very defensive of their fat loss stuff I see a lot of defense against some of the stuff that I do and I am pro dieting for those who um want to diet for solid reasons um but I still see a lot of people getting defensive about it I see passive aggressive posts in response to some things that I say for people that I follow and and I know it's coming from a place of fear and people just kind of really like oh but this is our bread and butter like this is what we need it's not going anywhere it's not going anywhere it's just there's so many other things that you can that you can focus on and I think I think the challenge is going to be for people to I feel a challenge personally where we sit where I love the fitness industry and I don't want to leave the fitness industry and I think it's a real shame when people slag off the fitness industry. I don't think that that's helpful, but I understand why they do it. And I feel a challenge personally 
from trying to continue to encourage positivity in the way that we work without getting triggering people to be defensive or triggering people to not want us our types of stuff in the fitness industry anymore and I think that that's a struggle from the more holistic side of things um I don't know I think I don't know I love the fitness industry and I hate when people are like oh the fitness industry fat loss the fitness industry has done so much good in this country for health so much good and the overwhelming messages from the fitness industry are awesome and I hate I hate it when people are like oh the fitness industry give people eating disorders and all this stuff it's bollocks but there are people that do crap stuff in the fitness industry just like there's people who do crap stuff in everything um and I and I think the challenge is trying to avoid like like the grouping of like the dichotomous grouping of people like us versus people who are prep coaches versus people who are anti-diet you know all of that stuff I wish we Mm. could all I wish we could all Like I think we sit in a really good position because I know that we'll have get referrals from like people who specifically focus on like transformations and all that kind of thing. And yeah, like there is a really good core group of people within the fitness industry. And it's probably something that I'm currently doing is weeding out all the crap that you follow and mm. mute it and stop all the people who are like tricking you a little bit so i don't even think it is a core i mean there are good a core group of people but i don't think it is i think the majority of people have good intentions and in trying to do good stuff mm. i speak to pts all the time who are just trying to do better and yes they mm. they might not put the best content out and they might not quite you might they might miss the mark but i genuinely believe that every, that every well every person that i speak to is trying to do better yes. and i and i think that we need to be really careful of saying there's the good people and then mm. everyone else is drivel and crap because I don't think that that's true. I see, I see on EIQ, like the the people who are coming on those courses and stuff. I I think, yeah, I think that most people are inherently trying to do a good job, and mm. if that's through fat loss, then and not quite sure, not quite offering support in their fat loss stuff, then that's not great. But they are still they still think that they're doing the best they're doing the best that they can and they still think they're doing the right thing. Um so I, yeah, I'm very I'm very mindful of not slagging not trying to separate an us versus them because I think that, that can mm. be really I think that's not helpful. Um and I don't I don't I suppose I don't feel triggered by stuff like that, like the fat loss stuff anymore. Like the not say fat loss, the transformation pictures, the only ones that trigger me or make me feel angry are the ones that are used to sell binge eating programs. Those ones trigger me because it's dangerous. Um, yes, transformation pictures can sometimes be dangerous too in terms of if that's all you see, it can be triggering for people. But yeah, I I, I love the fitness industry. I do. I think we need to be nice to it. Um, okay, Luke? Yes. Um, yeah, it's more of a troubleshoot. So I've been trying to drink more decaf coffee to see if that changes my sleep, but I find it gives me a headache. If I replace it with fruit tea, I don't get a headache. Any thoughts? Mm. The only thing that came to my head around the headache was caffeine withdrawal. And yeah, and that potentially you've gone de- decaf for that period, suffered with the headaches and 
feeling a bit cranky and everything and then made the adjustment as you've gone through that withdrawal aspect mm. and gone into fruit teas then so that's my only thoughts around that but yeah there's no rationale as to why mm. you would get headache from decaf coffee and not fruit tea if you're coming off caffeine I would say potentially it's it's an association rather than a causation mm. um and if you're getting headaches from caffeine withdrawal hi sister or brother um feel you mm-hmm. but it's probably a good idea just to reduce that caffeine consumption you're probably doing a good thing just for a little while awesome Anna? um oh where are we i've noticed um in my check-in that my resting heart rate has dropped slightly is this part of metabolic adaptation? It seems to have coincided with my recent drop in calories, and I do tend to sit higher than that on uh, BPM generally. Yeah, this is quite common to happen when you're dieting. Like when I used to prep, I'd drop like 10 beats per minute by the time I finished prep. That's really quite common. Um, it's probably in part due to your lower body weight, and then if, if because they're dieting, aren't they? Yeah. Um, probably in part due to lower body weight. A potential little bit of metabolic adaptation where you become more efficient at what you do. So if people don't know what metabolic adaptation is, there's lots of different things that change when you diet. But one of the things that changes is, like I said, you become more efficient. So if the best way to describe this is if you went for a 5K run at the start of a diet and then you went for a 5K run at the same pace at the end of the diet, You'd burn more calories at the start than you would at the end because you're heavier but also because your body gets more efficient at using energy uh, so you expend less energy and yeah your heart rate will come down kind of alongside of that so yes it's quite a it's quite a natural normal phenomenon with dieting I used to love that part I'm so healthy do you think do you think there's a reason why some people turn to food and others reduce food in times of high emotion or being overwhelmed both are using food as a coping strategy but it's interesting that people can do such opposites um i think that this is in part genetic i think that this, there's lots of reasons for this in part genetics I also think it's potentially like your childhood experience if for example you were rewarded with food when stressful times in the family for example that food became your comfort in that respect um if you've got any history of food scarcity that can potentially impact your behaviors when you're stressed um in either direction there are there are lots of different reasons um, people who tend to restrict are potentially more have more of a perfectionist mindset, um, which we see in people who go on to develop um, specific eating disorders like anorexia. Um, so there are there, like that's just a handful of reasons. There are so so many reasons, like it's nature and nurture. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think I I, was, I did a podcast for somebody about stress eating at work and there's a difference for example between men and women like in terms of how they stress eat and yeah 
and, and people go through differences themselves like sometimes you can be stressed and anxious and not eat and another time it's the opposite it's very yeah there are many other factors um yeah I don't have much else to say on that mm. no <laughs> um so when not tracking i'm prone to picking up foods with the mindset of it doesn't matter because i'm not tracking do i call myself out on this or do i just try to be more mindful or do i allow it as a form of compassion to myself i would say i'm sorry you go uh call yourself out ask yourself why you're doing it because if you're not tracking, are you actually eating enough at meal times to satisfy yourself? And um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also think the compassion thing is a bit of a trigger there. Um, compassion is not just doing what the hell you want because you want to do it, and that's not what I'm saying that you're doing in this situation at all. But compassion is is doing what is the kindest thing for you and the best thing for you. The kindest thing for you might be when you're not tracking and you feel sad and you want a bar of chocolate to have a bar of chocolate. That's That might be the kindest thing. But if you're kind of finding yourself snacking every single day because you're bored, is the kindest thing for yourself to do there to eat, to distract yourself? Or is the kindest thing for you to do there, say, I'm not, I'm eating because I'm, I'm not hungry. What's actually going to satisfy my boredom is taking a walk or watching friends or whatever it is. Um, it's yeah I think that's a really it's such a common misconception about compassion about kind of just doing what you want and we get this a lot don't we in terms of how do you how do you distinguish between if I'm just taking it easy versus if I'm being kind to myself and I think often it, often it can be a case of saying well what makes what genuinely makes you feel better does that sack genuinely make you feel better or does it not and like I, I still call myself out on it. I did it like yesterday because I've got Malteser buttons, and then I went to have some Malteser but Malteser buttons, and I was like, "Why am I eating these?" And then I was just boredom, and I was like, I literally took them out the bag, and I was like, eh, "Just put them back in," because it was just complete boredom. And it's like you have to call yourself out on it, otherwise, like it just doesn't make you feel good. But might, in which case, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I think the common question that. I learned from you two is what is my intent what am I trying to do with this food am I satisfying my hunger or is it a distraction or is it numbing something and then addressing it from there so I think like you said a compassion also it almost gets painted with the soft touch brush where you just like just let everything slide and you're like well no the, sometimes the kindest thing is to have a word with yourself because that's what you you really want in the long term is to and what's going to help you get to where you really want and sometimes that is calling yourself out and calling out your own bullshit um any tips for non-tracked meals uh i know this has been covered a lot but i'm really stressing about them uh so we are working on gradually uh removing tracking um and yeah, how would you guys go about it? Um, realistically, realistically, I would say have some protein with your meal and choose a carbohydrate source that you want to eat that you think mm, that sounds nice. 
which I know can be challenging for some people, but that's like get curious, try some different things and choose a fat source that you like. That fat source might be olive oil. That fat source might be cheese, whatever, avocado, whatever. But choose a source of each of those and focus on what you're including on that plate as opposed to thinking, well, how much is the serving size of this? Take away the focus on the amount for now and focus on the taste, the quality of the food, the nutrients within that food. And really when you sit down, think to yourself, what nutrients am I giving my body? How am I nourishing my body here? And I think it can be really helpful to try and reframe it that way rather than trying to reframe what do I think a portion should look like here? Because there is no should on portion sizes, especially if you're moving tracking. Like you could have the same meal and I do this, the same meal almost every day sometimes, but the portion of it looks completely different every single day because that's based on your hunger, right? You're not you're not at this point eating to portion sizes, you're eating to internal cues, which is the challenging part. So focus on all of the other things that you can focus on with your food. Um, a protein source, a carbohydrate source, and a fat source, enjoyment, nutrients. That's how I would try and, try and frame it. And I think we said before about if you find that you're counting stuff in your head, give yourself like a, a time where you say, right, um, maybe if, if you're struggling with counting calories after you've had an untracked meal, say, say right, I'll only allow myself to do to mull this over for three minutes. And, I'm, and, and once I've had that three minutes, that's it. I'm not allowed to think about it anymore. And then moving on, and that can be quite helpful. Awesome. I've got nothing more to add. That's pretty much everything covered. Okay. Um, how do you food shop normally whilst you're very hungry in the supermarket? Hmm. I tend to have a shopping list either typed out with a rough guide to what I'm picking up. So it's have to get, I'll probably get like three to four protein sources that vary in what they are. So poultry, like red meat and try and get a plant-based one if I can, or eggs or, or dairy. Um, then get some leafy greens and have a rough idea in my head. Then I tend to have a little bit of deviation in there, which at times when I'm hungry may include a bit more chocolate than usual. But, that's to me that's that's fine but most of the time before i go shopping because i know if i go home hungry i'll pick everything up i will make sure that i won't go shopping hungry but if i do find that i am there it's the only time i can go being mindful and just saying i'm a bit hungry now and just calling myself out on that aspect of so i'm not just going for all the highly palatable processed stuff and buying like three weeks worth of shopping in one go I will just be mindful and go so when am I going to eat this when am I planning to have this and planning it out in my head a little bit as well mm. um, having stuck to either online or click and collect <laughs> that's not an issue for me anymore um, but I think like Louis said making sure I have something before I go because otherwise I will just buy tons that I don't need um and sometimes just putting something like a protein bar in the trolley as well so i know that i can have that um as soon as as soon as i'm done to tide me over until i can 
get home and have something properly. Yeah, I do that. I, and I agree. I just wouldn't really do it hungry. And if I had to, I did it the other night. I was like, I went to buy something and I was like, would I buy this if I wasn't hungry? And I literally asked myself that question. And I know I wouldn't, so I'm not going to buy it. And I'm glad <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It's amazing just a question like that, how it can just bring you out of the moment. It's like, why? Like, what? I'm literally just doing this because I'm hungry. Yeah. It's amazing just having that awareness and taking a step back, that level of mindfulness to go respond rather than react yeah and you're totally right I think we I think especially when you first get started on mindfulness work you think it's about mindful eating and taking your time and of course it is that's fundamental and that starts off a mindfulness practice that translates into other areas of your life but when you become more mindful on the whole it is it's about being able to just take a step out of your head and be aware of those thoughts and once you no one has complete control over their thoughts in that way like let's be honest but once you start to have more idea of that you can answer yourself fairly and honestly and take a step back out of it mm. oh mindfulness is such a life changer <laughs> but it's one of those things that people are like but how how do you stop yourself I'm like, with practice just yeah. keep just keep practicing that like anything else over and over and over again <laughs> I still do on Instagram I'll go to like I'm not so I'm not somebody that looks on you know how people if they're on Instagram they'll look at things and they'll, they'll trigger them deliberately like I never I've never been one to do that but even if I go it might be like eight o'clock at night and I'm quite strict on my phone but I'll I'll open Instagram and I'll literally be like why am I doing this and then you put it back down again so even little things like that it's like it just changes they're so basic but it changes your boundaries it changes the way you think about everything and what you allow into your space yeah. I think there's a is it, it's like a just a curiosity rather than a judgment isn't it it's just like oh that's interesting and I find I, I literally say that phrase all day to myself oh that's interesting <laughs> what, what's happened there rather than being like jumping straight you go oh that's interesting why am I on Instagram I, I have no reason to be on Instagram I'm going to put it away and it's just that's pretty much the whole thing I say that's I'm talking to myself all day just saying that yeah. same <laughs> <laughs> Am I? Am I? No, Louis, I think. Oh, is it? Is it me? Um, how would you go about promoting a healthy eating environment for kids whilst keeping them interested and fed? And I'll put that to Amelia. That's tough. Um, it's not tough. It's, do you know what? We can only speak from, none of us speak from personal experience. We can only speak from what we know that, from research and, and experience with clients. For me, and I think this is probably going to be similar across the board, to be honest, it's about encouraging variety. It is about practicing food neutrality, um, including all foods, not using foods like, not using food as treats, um, reward, to some degree comfort. This is me kind of saying in an ideal world, of course there's going to be times when you give your kid some food if they if they want comfort in some way or you know like it's not me saying don't do any of these things but it's all the things that we talk about unconditional permission to eat like not encouraging them to to eat when they're not hungry and not forcing the kids to finish what's on their plate so that they can have pudding um that sort of stuff like if they feel full they, they feel full and it's about really encouraging their own sense of self and their own trust in themselves to know when they want to eat and when they don't um 
And I think, I know it can be difficult as we get older and they become more picky. And I think that you have to, to some degree, just be grateful that they are eating and try not to pressurise them to eat other foods when they really don't want to eat them. Where that becomes tricky, I think, is if that's what they're only eating. And then I'm not going to go into the realms of like RFID and, and the kind of childhood eating disorder realm. But I think the best things that we can do is is really just work on food neutrality and work on letting like letting them have that trust in themselves. Mm. Yeah, nothing, nothing to add. I'm afraid, completely agree. Um, I'd throw in there just because I went on a course and they spoke about it was getting kids involved in the cooking process if you can and making it engaging for them and interesting and then almost letting them explore the food with you like textures taste and how it changes throughout the cooking process um it can really help with engaging children in being curious about food and different textures and tastes um but yeah that, everything else Amelia smashed so mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that I mean I like that idea of cooking not you saying I smashed everything <laughs> <laughs> um how would you show yourself slash body compassion Louis um I tend to have certain aspects of self-care within my routine and a lot of my clients have that scheduling as well because I think it's really important to treat yourself like someone who deserves to be treated well and like one of my clients had an amazing story this week that she's um, moved back home. But every time she's got a meal with herself, she'll put some nice music on the background. She'll light some candles and she'll make an event of it for herself to have a nice meal, like have an audio book on or some quiet music. And little things like that, it's treating yourself as if you deserve to be treated well, which you do. But often a lot of the time that slips down the priority list because you're worried about other things. Um and knowing what gets the best version of you. So for me, that's trying to get into bed early and having an early night. My lights go off at eight o'clock in my room down to like 1% or whatever. So it's completely dimmed. Try and get reading, try and get out for a walk each day and enjoy that in the fresh air, mobility sessions and stuff like that, just to what makes me feel good in time for me. So those are the sort of things that I would put into self-compassion. Mm. I'm very similar. I'm trying to think as an example, like all the things I've done to show my body self, to show my body compassion this week. And it's very similar. I've made sure I've gone for walks. I've done yoga when I feel stiff. I didn't train the other day because I was exhausted. I've actually not really trained. Today was the first day in AJ because I was exhausted. Um, I, on Tuesday, I actually, Tuesday evening, I had like some sort of cortisol overload and thought I was dying. And so my my compassion was, turning everything off early ordering Domino's pizza and turning the lights off at 6 p.m or something like that um compassion to me is eating enough it's eating variety it's also eating Domino's if I, if I want Domino's um it is letting myself go to bed at eight o'clock at night and get up we'll sleep until seven one day that's compassionate um it's not body checking I don't look in the mirror I don't check my body that's not because I don't want to see it, just because I don't think about it. But that's compassion to me. Um, 
I think it's literally like I know it's a cliche, but I I genuinely believe it's about treating your body like you love it and you respect it, and it is loving it and respecting it. Like if if Anna said to me, "I'm I'm shaking, I'm I'm worked so hard today and I'm exhausted," I would never say to her, "Right, I think you should I think you should train." I would say, "What do you feel like doing?" Whatever she felt like doing, say, "Right, we'll do that." And that's kind of how I think you, you treat compassion with your body. It's like what what do you genuinely feel like doing? And I think that can be really hard for people who are used to overtraining or underfueling because they don't allow themselves to listen to their body or they, when they listen to their body, they don't quite hear it properly. They hear it through their own kind of lens of what they think they should be doing as opposed to genuinely what they're doing. But again, when, it, when you start to become more mindful and you do things like body scans and meditation and yoga, you just become much more in tune with your body. Like you... You know when there's something wrong. You know when you need to rest, um, and like that's like that's something that my, like my mom said to me, and I'd, actually Adele said to me the other day. She was like, "You just know if something's wrong with your body. You you just know it's something that's like it's like a skill. It's not a skill, but it's something you develop over time, right?" Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think compassion is just listening to that, learning to listen to that. Yeah, and I think the only thing I would add on is like being mindful of your thoughts as well um reframing when needed and that sort of thing mm. well Anna I was talking about you to one of my clients the other day because she reframed something and I was like Anna would be so <laughs> proud of that reframing she was like oh, what competition I was like oh, <laughs> oh I see <laughs> it was a good Just, one uh, reframing my way through life <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, we're going to stop there because we've had to be fired through a lot of questions. It's a bit of a longer one tonight. So thanks everyone for your questions. Please keep give us and give us in them, and that is why we're stopping the podcast. <laughs> Please keep giving them to us um, and your updates, and we really appreciate them. And thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to like, subscribe and share. And if you're interested in learning more about coaching with us, you can visit www.emilia.fitness or email at info at And make sure to check us out on Instagram.